0: And this is Politics Friday on NPR News. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Thanks for tuning in today. It's been another busy week at the Minnesota Capitol as lawmakers hit their first committee deadline today. That means a lot of bills were lined up for hearings in all kinds of committees. The DFL majorities in the House and Senate have been holding together, and this week the House passed a Public Works construction package with broad bipartisan support. That same package faces a bigger test in the Senate where Republicans say they won't support a bonding bill until they see movement from Democrats on a tax cut. Here to talk about that and more is the Speaker of the Minnesota House, DFL Representative Melissa Hortman. Speaker Hortman, thanks for coming on today. It's my pleasure. Good afternoon. The governor signed another big bill this week, uh, the one that lets people get driver's licenses regardless of their immigration status. Is the DFL trifecta doing the work that uh, voters wanted it to do?
1: We definitely are. You know, I think what people were tired of was the gridlock of divided government and people holding measures hostage until the very end of the session and then trying to do everything of the whole session in the last three weeks. So what we've tried to do is pass individual bills, get them to the governor's desk, get moving on those things that we know Uh, we need to get done. And driver's licenses for all, for example, the coalition supporting that included our law enforcement professionals across the state, communities of faith, the business community. So it's long overdue, and it was a delight to get that bill to the governor's desk.
0: Has it been hard to keep your caucus unified? It doesn't seem like you've had very many members at all flake off on some of these big bills.
1: No, it hasn't been hard to keep our team unified because everybody's pretty eager to get the work done for the people of Minnesota. What we ran on and won on was investing in public education, making health care more affordable and accessible, and making sure that our economy works for everyone. You know, we've talked a lot about this great big projected state surplus, but the reality is a lot of families are still struggling. So we're working on the things that people told us were really important to them. Uh, making sure that housing is affordable, child care is affordable. And I think those things will also help the labor workforce shortage that we have in Minnesota that, that could constrain our economy if we don't pay attention to
0: it. Well, I know one of those items that's a big priority is that family and medical leave plan. Uh, when do you expect that to come up on the floor?
1: That is a pretty complicated bill, so we're waiting for an analysis of the precise costs of that. It will be a similar program to how unemployment insurance works right now, where each and every one of us have a tiny increment deducted from our paychecks to go into the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund, and then our employers pay a small portion as well. And that's there in case any of us lose our job and we need unemployment compensation. Paid family medical leave will work exactly the same way. So it's very important that we get that number right. What is that tiny increment that will be deducted from your paycheck and my paycheck to go into this fund in case either one of us has to take leave to deal with our own health crisis or a health crisis in our family or the addition of a new family member?
0: And what, you know, the business groups, some of them have already come out against this and they say it's too big. It's a one size fits all plan. What, what, how do you respond to them?
1: Well, every industrialized uh, country in the world has paid family medical leave and has far more generous benefits than what we are looking at. This is kind of a basic human rights issue, and the United States of America is pretty far behind. In the United States, there are several states that have these systems up and operating. And when I ran into the Speaker of the House, uh, Washington State She talked about the fact that they had implemented this in recent years, and the population was very, very glad to have it. And the reaction of the population after it was enacted is, why didn't you do this sooner? It's just such common sense.
0: Uh, Let me ask you about that bonding bill that I mentioned earlier. Uh, Two-part plan passed the House this week, Uh, $1.5 billion in bonds, another about $400 million in cash. To pay for building projects and repairs, water treatment plants, all kinds of things around the state. You needed 11 Republicans to join the Democrats for the bonding part because it takes a 60% majority. I think you got 21. Uh, A lot of Republican support. Why do you think that happened?
1: I think Republicans are tired of gridlock too, especially with these kinds of investments for their community. And there are lots of things to have partisan wars about. There are things where Republicans and Democrats feel very differently from a philosophical standpoint. But that shouldn't get in the way of doing this kind of basic investment in our local communities. Things like improving our college uh, buildings, building new college buildings when they're needed, also keeping... Um, care of our local roads and bridges. So I think that there's a lot of Republicans that were just as tired of the gridlock as Democrats and want to see these investments in their community.
0: Well, you know, the Republicans in the Senate have said that this package is dead on arrival because they wanna see some tax cuts before they'll put up the votes they need to hit 60% over there. I know the Senate isn't isn't really your area, But uh, do you think they can back that up or or will their members want some of these projects in their districts just as Republicans did in the House?
1: Well, I'm hoping that the leadership will change its mind and that the members will lead them to change their mind, because I think that when we look at what is good for the people of Minnesota, I think that what the Republicans will conclude is that these projects are in the best interest of the state and they should go forward forward. I feel like I was able to successfully work with former Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka, the Republican leader, between 2019 and 2021. And the way that Senator Gazelka and I were able to work together is we asked ourselves, is it good for Minnesota? And not, is it good for Democrats or is it good for Republicans, but is it good for Minnesota? And I think that if Senator Mark Johnson takes a look at this bonding bill and asks himself that question. He will conclude it is good for Minnesota, and that we should certainly have a full debate on the tax bill, but we should have that when the tax bill is ready and when the tax bill is brought to the floor.
0: Uh, You have said that there could be an all-cash bill that would just take a simple majority to pass, and you wouldn't need Republicans to pass it. Um, Is that still a prospect?
1: It is because I'm not willing to have the people of Minnesota go out, go without these needed investments in our infrastructure. I think we have a fiduciary responsibility as the leaders in the state to take care of the assets that the state already owns. We own billions and billions of dollars of assets when you look at our higher education institutions, our transportation infrastructure, our wastewater infrastructure. And we have an obligation to take care of those things, even if we're having political fights about other topics. And so I would not love to run over the Republicans and use cash to fund that maintenance and those construction projects. I would prefer to do it on a bipartisan basis working together.
0: And just clear up one thing for me, because I heard you say this week that uh, this was the 2022 plan. Is there another construction bill that you hope to pass this year?
1: Yes, I think it's really important that we do too. I think it was unfortunate that uh, a bonding bill didn't come out of the 2022 session. I think at a certain point in time, uh, particularly after the Republican convention in 2022, the Republicans felt very confident they were going to win a trifecta and they kind of walked out on negotiations. So we had this unfinished business from 2022. But it's important that we do this every year. It's it, it, The best way for people to think about it, it's your like your house. If you don't c- take care of your roof and your windows and your walls, at a certain point you have so much uh, undone maintenance that your asset really diminishes in value. So we can't take years off in terms of taking care of the assets of the state.
0: Talking to DFL House Speaker Melissa Hortman this hour, Um, Just moving into the the budget mode, because that's where the session is going to go next. Uh, Are there any major differences between House Democrats, Senate Democrats and the governor?
1: Well, I think that our values are very aligned. We all want to finally catch up with the education funding and, you know, recognize that Minnesota is about 20 years behind in terms of keeping up with inflation so I think we're united on wanting to, to provide significant investments in public education, both E12 and higher education. And then we're all working together to find ways to make healthcare more affordable, um, on the prescription drug front and then on co-pays and deductibles, seeing, you know, what we can do to make that system work better. I also think in the area of healthcare that we're behind on reimbursements. We're In some areas, we have shortages of providers, and that's because our reimbursements haven't kept pace with inflation either. And fundamentally, we're looking for ways to make sure we have an economy that works for everyone. The state has prosperity with this big budget surplus, but individual Minnesotans still struggle. And so I think... We're very united on all of those goals, and I, I'm hopeful that our budget-setting process and our, our budget enactment process will be a lot smoother with the Democratic trifecta.
0: The governor still wants those checks to go out, the sort of the one-time rebate checks to people within certain income limits, but it seems like uh, you and uh, leaders in the Senate have been reluctant to go along with that. Why?
1: Well, I think that this is a really important priority for the governor. He feels very strongly about it. He is our strong ally and teammate. So I would like to find a way that we can, um, can move forward on some version of his proposal where we really find ourselves united in purpose with the governor is the goal to uh, make a real dent in childhood poverty during this next four year administration. I think he set out a really, um, inspiring vision when at his inaugural uh, ceremony, and we are fully on board with that. So I think when we look at using this surplus and using one-time money, what we'd like to do is find a way to uh, work with the governor and the Senate on a proposal that directs portions of the surplus to those families who really need it and and at reducing childhood poverty. So our tax chair is looking at putting together a proposal that honors what the governor wants to do in terms of getting checks out to folks But that we really um, drill down and and use those checks in a way that they would actually further that goal of reducing childhood poverty, as the governor's proposal does. You know, he's really very focused on families with children.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, The governor has proposed some tax increases, uh, capital gains, for example. Is that something the House would go along with?
1: We are taking a serious look at that. You know, I think our tax chair has expressed it very well, um, Chair Aisha Gomez. We have a continuing um, diversion in our economy where people at the top are doing better and better. And during COVID, we saw this disparity grow where folks at the top end of the income spectrum are doing very, very well. When you look at corporate profits and you look at CEO salaries, These things are growing almost exponentially. And then you look at the wages of middle class families and uh, the working poor and people who are working uh, to get by, living paycheck to paycheck, and they're not seeing that kind of prosperity. So when we look at the system of the state and what makes sense to fund the public infrastructure, we do think that some folks aren't paying their fair share relative to others.
0: So it sounds like it's a definite possibility that some taxes will go up when the state has this big surplus.
1: Yes, we are looking at that. And the reason is the sur- the ongoing surplus is not that big. So when you accept the fact that we have not kept up with inflation and we have a projected ongoing surplus of about $5 billion, that doesn't go very far in terms of meeting unmet needs in Healthcare wages in our public uh, education investments, and then the the all the other areas of, of state government, including environment and agriculture and economic development. So, if we want to make commitments to pay, for example, healthcare workers what they deserve, those people who work in nursing homes or group homes and do some of the most important work in society, but yet are making less than you know clerks at Target or McDonald's or Quick Trip. Those are some pretty big ongoing numbers because there are a lot of people doing that work and they're very underpaid. So if we want to make commitments that we can keep, we have to look at what does the revenue picture look like into the future.
0: Let me uh, change the subject a little bit. Uh, the DFL party was going to hold a fundraiser. They postponed it now. It was during the session. You were going to be there as sort of a featured guest. Um, there's already a ban on legislators and your caucuses raising money during the session, and some say that it's a loophole that allows parties to do it. Would you support uh, banning parties from raising money during the legislative session as well?
1: Well, it's interesting, the outcry, because you can see the Lincoln-Reagan dinner that the GOP has Uh, Senator Gazelka and Representative Doubt were the headliners in 2017. I don't remember a blip about that in the media. So it's interesting that this one created a kerfuffle. This is something that the parties have done throughout time. They are not bound by the same restrictions as members. And just as Republican leaders have gone to the Lincoln-Reagan dinner, which always happens in March or April, uh, Senator Dedzic and I were invited to a party event. I think that um, that's an issue that we're going to continue to debate this year. We will be debating changes in the campaign finance laws and changes to election laws. And those sorts of proposals would be at this point in time in our election committees.
0: Uh, Things have been moving so fast, it seems like. Is there any chance you finish before May 22nd?
1: Wouldn't that be great if we did? I don't know. I think it's important to under promise and over deliver. And there's really a lot of work that we do. When you look at the legislative session and the work that we have, it's a really short period of time to do the work. So I feel confident we will end on time. I would love to end early. But what we have is a 201 person board of directors to run. Um, an enterprise that has a budget in excess of $50 billion for every two-year period. So that's a lot of people's input. And that's just the legislators, not not including all the people who come to testify at the Capitol and give their input that way as well. And it's a very large state budget that we enact for a two-year period. So it's a, it's a ton of work and it will probably take the entire session, but hopefully we will finish a couple of days early.
0: DFL House Speaker Melissa Hortman, thanks for coming on. I hope you'll have enough time to come back again before the end of the session.
1: I'd love to. Thank you.
0: Support comes from Memorial Blood Centers, reminding listeners that the need for blood is constant and the need for new platelet donors is critical. You can learn how to help impact lives and about the ease of donating at mbc.org. And this is NPR News. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Let's get the House Republican perspective now. There are 64 Republicans in the House compared to 70 Democrats. It takes 68 votes to pass a bill. So what can Republicans do to have an influence on the legislation that gets to the governor's desk? I'm joined now by Representative Lisa Damoth of Cold Spring. She's the Republican minority leader in the House. Leader Damoth, thanks so much for coming on today.
2: Good afternoon, Mike. Thank you for the invitation to visit with you.
0: Well, first, uh, let me ask you about what happened this week. Your your, uh, colleagues, Republican colleagues in the Senate, say they won't put up votes for a bonding bill until Democrats move to cut taxes. But when the bill came up in the House this week, 21 Republicans voted for it. Why the difference in tactics between the House and the Senate here?
2: Sure. As you have most likely heard, this bonding bill, as it was coming forward, was considered to be last year's bill. And although it wasn't exactly like last year, we didn't have a bill last year. As this bonding bill moved forward, the projects had been looked at. There, were, there was already work that had been done. The Capital Investment Committee had been meeting. And as we had an opportunity to look at that bonding bill, there was considerable support within our caucus. We felt that most of what was in the bill was beneficial to the entire state, Uh, looking at wastewater treatment, our roads and our bridges, some of those foundational core things of bonding that we, we do support. Now, my colleagues in the Senate, I will agree with them that there should be tax relief. We're sitting on uh, over $17 billion, almost $19 billion surplus, and that money does need to start making its way back to Minnesotans. So in the House, although we agreed with that, we did have considerable support for the bonding bill and watch it move on to the Senate in the next step.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, how are things for Republicans in the House? Are, Are you getting any bills moving through committees or any of your amendments attached to some of the big bills as they... As the Democrats use their majority to pass them?
2: You know, as you mentioned, we have 64 members in our caucus. And I have to tell you, Mike, there are 25 new members um, that have never served, first-time members serving. And so with the speed that things are moving through in the House so very quickly and in the legislative session, We have a number of new members that are very engaged and existing members, but our entire caucus is engaged in the process. We've been sent there by our constituents, and we represent a large geographical portion of Minnesota. And so as much as we are trying to do the work, the DFL has not been very open to taking either our bills or the amendments, whether they're offered in committee or on the House floor um most of them get heard not the bills but the amendments at least we get a lot of them heard but they're typically over over 98% shut down
0: hmm. so what's your strategy are you just kind of hoping the democrats go too far and get out ahead of where the public is at or is there is there anything you can do to have sort of a meaningful voice in some of this legislation
2: you know, I think the things that we heard while we were campaigning, those are Minnesota priorities. And I have to say, as we've watched the Democrats move their agenda through so far this session, a lot of that seems to be partisan priorities supported by some Minnesotans. But it feels a little bit more partisan, the priorities that have come up first. Uh, but with that being said, as I took over as minority leader, it was very important to me that setting up the com- the committee structure choosing our committee leads, that that would be done very intentionally with our members that were willing to work well with the committee chairs. You have to build on the relationships and establish those relationships to do good work. And as we saw most of our work being done remote over the last three years, that was difficult to establish those really solid relationships, I know all of my committees in the past were all by Zoom. I didn't have hmm. any committees that met during the, the time of COVID um, by you know in person. Um, but to establish the relationships is really what it takes. We also have asked our leads to make sure that the work that can be done within committee, those conversations are happening, that there's clear communication. And I have to say the process, it is open. You know, We don't necessarily um, like the, the limitations that it seems as far as either bill hearings or testimony or being able to ask questions, but that was very intentional. So with that intentionality, that is the way that we can work forward over this session. Even though there is the complete Democrat control, Our voices do need to be heard. The voices of our constituents need to be heard. So having those open relationships, conversations and committee, and then our debate on the House floor is the best that we can do in offering another perspective and being that voice for Minnesotans.
0: Mm -hmm. What does jungle ball mean? I I was uh, listening to the session last night. I heard some of your members threatened to play jungle ball when Democrats tried to put an amendment uh, on a bill they didn't like.
2: I have no idea what jungle ball (laughs) is. I had never heard that before. And um, there was enough going on on the floor last night that I didn't have a chance to talk to that member to say, hey, what is this? I have no idea. But what I think um, was happening is there was an amendment that was being brought um, by the majority, but yet it was not in a section of law that was actually the, the bill that we were being heard. So we felt that that amendment was out of order. The Speaker ruled against us saying that it was in order. And if that was, and I have to tell you, if you pulled the statute book, that the the bill that we were hearing is in one section, but yet the amendment that was being proposed was more than 22 pages later in a whole different section. Our feeling was, if that was going to be the new custom and usage and precedent that we were going to set on the House floor, um, it could potentially grind to a halt. Because going forward, any amendment that we wanted to bring forward on a bill that would be a good amendment, something we wanted to get through, we were going to start doing that if the ruling was going to be a, to allow that amendment. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to say, we made an agreement. I, I spoke with the majority leader, and the Speaker Pro Tem was willing to um, – the, the author of the amendment pulled the amendment, and then the Speaker Pro Tem accepted my motion to – uh, withdraw my motion to overturn the ruling. So a little bit so of you, inside you, baseball, you worked it but out. that's the way we did it. Yeah.
0: Um, other than the bonding bill, as, as the budget comes up and the debate over the surplus, do you see any areas where Republicans might be able to work with Democrats?
2: Um, I think we will always try to work together, and that is the expectation. Now, what the result is, I can't guarantee that, but tax relief, in multiple ways for Minnesotans is top of mind. When we are sitting on a surplus as we are, and this is a surplus this year, you know, we've seen that in a few years past, we need to do better to allow Minnesotans to keep their money and spend it how they wish. And in effort to also keep people in Minnesota, and especially our seniors not wanting to leave, you know, for other parts of the country, because of the tax on Social Security, and the higher costs here. So I think there is some work to be done. But I think the tax relief is going to become top, you know, one of the priorities and then uh, public safety and, and keeping our state safe, ensuring that our communities are safe. That's another top area.
0: House Republican Minority Leader Lisa Damoth of Cold Spring, thanks so much for coming on today. I hope we get a chance to talk again.
2: All right. Thank you, Mike.
0: This is NPR News. I'm Mike Mulcahy. It's been another busy week at the state capitol as lawmakers have been rushing to meet their first committee deadline today means that a lot of committees have been holding a lot of hearings. It also means that lawmakers will soon turn their attention to crafting a new two-year state budget using that $7.5 billion projected surplus. Joining me now to step back a little from the Daily Rush is the Majority Leader of the Minnesota Senate, DFL Senator Kerry Diedzick of Minneapolis. Senator, thanks for coming on today. Well, thank
3: you for inviting
0: me. You've been setting a, a really quick pace at the Capitol this year. Here at the halfway point of the session, how do you assess the work the legislature has done so far?
3: I don't know if I would say we're at a quick pace. I think we are at—we're um, very focused. Uh, people told us they were tired of gridlock and they wanted to see things get done. So we've been busy hearing bills, having committee hearings, bringing in Minnesotans to hear what they think about the bills, um, and we have passed um, about sixteen bills already. So that is exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. And you have that, uh, that one-vote majority, 34 to 33, in the Senate. Has it been hard to keep the DFL caucus together so far?
3: We have had a lot of conversations. We will continue to have a lot of good conversations uh, so we can understand where we, each other are coming from and how, you know, I think in the big picture, we are all very much committed to helping Minnesotans. We want to make sure that they have um, opportunities to afford their lives and an opportunity to succeed. So I think we are all committed on that big picture. And then, you know, we just want to make sure that the details, that we're all on the same page on the details. So we're just going to continue to have those uh, really good conversations.
0: Mm -hmm. I know you've been in the Senate for a while, but you've only had the majority leader job for a few months now. Is there anything about it that, that surprised you so far?
3: You know, I've been in the Senate for about 10 years, 11 years, I guess. And every day is a new day. It is like taking a college course every single day. Uh, It's just a great opportunity to learn about how much Minnesota is doing, how the people in Minnesota are doing. And I think in uh, this leadership position, it's the same thing. It's just learning more and more about everybody's district and what the needs across the state are.
0: And I, I imagine it must be difficult, though, to try to balance that with somebody from, you know, the middle of Minneapolis uh, to somebody up uh, in the arrowhead?
3: But I think we have so much more in common. You know, we all need stable housing. We all want good jobs. Everybody wants a strong education system, and they want their kids to do good in school. Um, Everybody is telling us, you know, there's a child care shortage, and they want to live in safe communities. So I think there's just so much more that we can agree on. We might not agree on all the little pieces. We might have some different disagreements, but I think on the, you know, again, big picture, I think, you know, somebody in, you know, my district of Minneapolis and Grant Hochschild or Rob Kupek's district up in northern Minnesota, you know, again, we all want those same things. So we're just going to keep having those conversations and making sure that we can help all Minnesotans.
0: Well, let me ask you about something that's been happening this week. Uh, Republicans in the Senate said they won't vote for a bonding bill until they see Democrats move on a tax cut. I know the Senate version of the bonding bill is in the Finance Committee this afternoon. Do you think you can find seven Republicans who will vote for it?
3: You know, we're going to work on that. We'll be, you know, talking to them. But that's, you know, the Republicans are going to have to look at do they want to this is about jobs and investing in local communities. These are projects that local communities have asked for, uh, so they're going to have to make that decision. Do they want to help their local communities and provide jobs um, or not?
0: And how, how does that case get made? Uh, does the committee chair try to convince those Republicans to vote for the bill? Do you get involved in that? How does that work?
3: Uh, I know Uh, Senator Pappas, who is our chair on bonding, has had many conversations with Senator Housley, who is the lead on bonding, about what they need and how to get there. I know individual Republicans, you know, they have projects in the bill, uh, are looking at what to do. And and I know they want a tax package. And as I've told um, Minority Leader Johnson, you know, the tax package is still being put together. Um, You know, we're still hearing bills in the tax committee. And so that tax package isn't done yet. Um, it will get done, but, you know, they could have passed a tax bill and a bonding bill last year. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. All of these bonding pro- proposals are shovel-ready projects in local communities. It's investing in the local communities. It's jobs in local communities. You know, you look at where we were and interest rates were last May to where they are now. Why do we want to hold up these projects? Mm-hmm. If they're ready, let's get out there so that some of these might be able to get started in this upcoming construction season.
0: And if you can't get enough Republicans to vote for a bonding bill, would you pass an all cash bill?
3: No, we'll have that discussion with the house
0: and and assuming it it would come to that uh would the assumption be that there would just not be a lot of Republican projects in in a bill like that?
3: We have not had that discussion yet mm-hmm. you know well, I think it's about how do we help the entire state I think as Uh, Rep. Lee said when they were debating the binding bill last week on the House floor, you know, we don't look at this as a, you know, Republican bill or a Democratic bill or an urban bill or a rural bill. This is a bill to help all of Minnesota.
0: As attention turns to the new two-year budget now, uh, after you pass this deadline today, what are the uh, Senate DFL priorities for a new budget?
3: Well, the committees have already heard, you know, so they've been hearing the governor's proposals, so their understanding of where his proposals are. Um, But as I, you know, mentioned earlier, I think, you know, all of us across the state want to have safe and stable housing. We, you know, want access to good child care, access to good education, you know, health care costs are skyrocketing. What can we do with that? I mean, people want to live in safe communities. So I think, you know, those are kind of some of the key big picture issues. But, you know, every little budget issue has their own thing. There's, you know, how do we help people afford their lives and have opportunity to succeed all across Minnesota?
0: I, I know the details are always uh, what get hard, but do you expect major problems lining up uh, your bills with the House and the governor's priorities?
3: Uh, I know our chairs have been having close conversations for the most part already. Um, and have been talking a lot about the bills as they're coming back and forth. And um, I know I've been meeting with the speaker and the governor since, you know, right after the election. And so, you know, there will be some differences, but I think, um, you know, hopefully from the big picture, we're all on the same page and we'll kind of work out those smaller um, differences. And then, you know, quite frankly, our chairs um, will make their pitch to all of our caucuses and, you know, we'll get a budget put together.
0: Hmm. And I know things like uh, paid family leave and increasing uh, help for child care providers, uh, all that is in the mix. What about tax cuts? The Republicans keep pushing for a full repeal of the tax on Social Security earning. It sounds like uh, the leaders in the House and Senate don't want to go there, though.
3: Well, that was the the Social Security uh, tax repeal was the first bill heard in the tax committee in the Senate this year. We had about a two-day um, you know, very much in the weeds discussion on it. And so I think, you know, we have members in the Senate, um, in the Senate DFL caucus. We have some members that support it and some members that think that money could be better spent. Um, you know, it's not a reflection of anybody. It's just that they feel that most of that repeal on the tax goes to help the wealthiest Minnesotans. And so is that the best use of the money? But, um, You know, we're looking at should we do that? We're also looking at how do, you know, child care tax credits. I believe that was helped yesterday. Um, A local government aid for public safety aid, that was helped in uh, herding tax committee yesterday. So I think there's a lot of, you know, how you package that tax cut together, but there will be tax cuts.
0: Mm -hmm. And what about income tax uh, rate cuts? Is that off the table?
3: Um, I don't know if we've heard any bills like that this year, but... uh, you know, we're looking at targeted tax relief to help um, Minnesotans that are still struggling.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and the governor still wants those rebate checks. Uh, it seems like it might be good politics, especially since a fairly big chunk of the surplus is one-time money. Do you think the Senate will go along with that?
3: Uh, we, heard those in, we heard his proposal in the tax committee, so that'll be part of the discussion. You know, we're, we're just weighing how do, we, how do we help the most people. With targeted um, tax relief,
0: mm-hmm. so so you're not you're not gonna say definitively that those are in or out at this point.
3: I have thirty three other members in the Democratic caucus that I will be talking to, and it's uh you know we're going to have a lot of conversations as we figure these things out.
0: Mm-hmm. um the governor's proposed some tax increases on capital gains taxes, for example. Do you think the Senate would go along with that?
3: We haven't had that discussion yet.
0: You, should any taxes go up when the state has a surplus of $17.5 billion?
3: Uh, like you said earlier, most of that is one-time money.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: so when you look at um, the ongoing needs, it, it gets closer to about you know, $5 billion, which is, let me tell you, is a huge amount of money. But we also have a lot of needs across the state um, in housing, child care. You know, I know I'm driving around on a lot of potholes these days. And so, you know, those roads need fixed. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of needs across the state, so we'll evaluate that.
0: Uh, let me uh, just turn away from the budget. Uh, the governor signed an order the other day that protects access to gender-affirming care for, for kids, really, uh, who think they may be trans. Uh, there's a, a, a bill that would make Minnesota a sanctuary state for people seeking that kind of care. Do you think the Senate will pass that?
3: we'll be having that discussion shortly. Uh, you know, there was a, um, a trans person that was just attacked on the light rail the other day. We don't want to see any Minnesotans attacked for any reason. And so I think we just want to make sure that everybody feels safe and we will be having that discussion.
0: Um, I mentioned the paid uh, family leave program earlier. Uh, is that something that would pass this year or do you think that might slide into next year?
3: We're having a lot of really good discussions in committee on that bill, and it is moving along. And so, uh, we hope to pass it this year because, again, I think people. I mean, it just helps family. Everybody has had a situation where either they have a medical issue or a family has a medical family member has a medical issue. I think it just helps um, individuals and families. I think it's something a lot of companies already offer, um, but I've heard from a lot of my main street smaller businesses that that this is something that they would like to. Um, be able to offer their employees. It's a um, something that helps them be competitive. And so, again, we've had really good conversations um, with a variety of stakeholders uh, in committee, and so I, I hope that is something that we get done, um, and I am committed to working on that to helpfully get it done this
0: year. And what about the, that bill that uh, le- would legalize marijuana? I know that, that has to go to a lot of committees too. Uh, could that slide into next year?
3: Um. That one is again. They're also having discussions. Uh, I know it's been worked on um, for a few years. Uh, I know the agencies worked on it in a few years, and they're updating it. And so we're gonna, you know, we're gonna just keep trying.
0: Is there any chance that the session could end early, just given the uh, the progress you've made so far?
3: You know, we're, we're our chairs are meeting together to discuss the budgets. We're we're all meeting together. Um, You know, sometimes it's just balancing the committee time, the floor time, um, but we're just working to, you know, get that balanced budget done and get it done on time.
0: So what does a successful legislative session look like to you?
3: I think we had a good start, and I think, you know, at the end of session, I think passing a balanced budget that helps uh, a lot of Minnesotans. We have a great opportunity here to truly help um, Minnesotans all across the state um, so that they can afford their lives and have opportunities opportunities to succeed. And I think, um, you know, getting that done will be successful.
0: DFL Senate Majority Leader Carrie Dedzik, thanks so much for coming on today. I hope we can talk again before the end of the session.
3: Thank you.
4: Support comes from Minnesota made by the yard, maintenance free outdoor furniture, dining sets, benches, Adirondacks, and more. You can shop now for spring delivery at one of their retail stores or by This
0: is Politics Friday, and here are some of the things we heard at the state capitol this week.
5: We're in a deadline week, and we are reaching our capacity as people to do our jobs and to do them well.
4: Yes. Representative Kwam, pull me board. out of the committee if you're not going to allow us to actually debate the darn bill.
3: Representative Aldendorf, oh, you, you have a question.
4: Mister Chair, do you, you need to let us. Representative Kwam, stop it. No, you need to actually cover the bill. It is important
0: that we don't forget this moment. If we forget this moment. Five, ten years later, it will be undone. That's right. So the same way that we remember that in 2003 driver licenses were taken, let's keep in mind that in March of 27, 2023, they were restored.
4: By outlawing gender-affirming health care, states across this country are working to prevent people from receiving safe, Medically Necessary Evidence-Based Treatments. We know this urgency is real, thus the need of an executive order today. Now I want to be clear, I can't pretend to understand what goes through people's minds. I cannot imagine the stress that families and individuals go through. But here in Minnesota, we're going to be a place of refuge to make sure that they feel safe and welcome. And I don't know what a group of people in peer who decide to make life miserable and more dangerous for people are thinking, but it's not going to happen in Minnesota.
1: Let's just face it, health insurance as a whole system, as a way of financing and delivering health care, it's full of flaws, terrible flaws. It really sucks. I just, you know, the media can quote me Health insurance as a system sucks. We are going to end up with a skinny down bill that leaves lots of Minnesotans in the dust, we are not going to get a full repeal of the the income tax and Social Security benefits.
5: This proposal does not represent us. That's right. Not all Minnesota seniors
1: want a tax cut. Many of us have benefited from affordable college. We've sent our kids to school and even phoned the fire department on occasion. After a lifetime spent working, I want these services to work better, not worse for my two grandkids and for their grandkids, who I will never meet. So I have something to say to the seniors who have decided that they've done their part. Shame on you. What kind of an example is this to set? These are not the Minnesota values that I have come to understand. This is not the legacy that I want.
0: Just some of the voices we heard this week at the Minnesota Capitol, and Like the snow this year, the bills just keep coming at the Capitol. It's been a busy week of hearings and other action. I'm joined now by our Capitol reporters to try to sort out some of it. Brian Baxt and Dana Ferguson are here. Dana, let me start with you because there's been stuff happening even as we've been on the air here. Uh, What's happening with legislative pay?
5: Yeah, um, just as you were talking to... Leaders earlier today, the Legislative Salary Council approved a 7.25% salary increase for state legislators that's set to take effect this summer. So that's about a $3,500 increase from the amount that they currently make. Um, There was quite a bit of debate from the council about how much they should be increasing. Uh, There seemed to be agreement that inflation is definitely going up and that pay should reflect that. But there was some debate and disagreement about just how much. They ultimately arrived at that 7.25 percent increase. And, yeah, that's going to start beginning this summer.
0: So that just happens. Does the the House and Senate have to vote on that or is that that a done deal now?
5: That's a done deal. There's no legislative action needed, and I think there was some concern about that from the council that lawmakers wouldn't really have input on that, and so they wanted their figure that they arrived at to reflect what they thought that legislators would be okay with and what constituents would allow them to uh, go home and not get taunted over.
0: Hmm. Brian Baxt.
4: It's, It's a done deal under that constitutional amendment that voters approved several years ago. But it will still come to the legislature legislature in a roundabout fashion. They have to actually approve the money to pay legislators, so you might anticipate that opponents of the pay raise will try to make a stink about the amount and and maybe keep that money or redirect that money. But by and large, this is done.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Brian, uh, you know, usually on these deadline days, we talk about what didn't make it or what died. I can't think of many bills that have died this deadline day.
4: Well, Mike, there are a lot of bills out there. Just just to give you some sense, there's been about 2,800 bills introduced in both the House and Senate. So it's about 21 per House member or 42 per Senate member if you're doing the math. Uh, but most of those have at least gotten some airing or might fit into a budget discussion or are duplicates of things. You know, there's a mm. lot of overlap and remember, there are so many ways that things can be revived if they don't meet the deadlines, but this is the beginning of the winnowing process. And, and we're finally seeing that that bills, uh, the ones that have a chance are going to advance and the ones that don't, might just have to wait until next year.
0: Let me ask you about this uh, bonding bill standoff. Uh, do you think Republicans will in the Senate will really be able to hold tough and and? delay a bonding bill or make the Democrats go to a strategy where they have to pass a cash bill?
4: Well, it was interesting. You, you pointed out that there were 21 House members that voted for this. I think they, some of them realized that they might not get a better deal. They might not get a deal that provides for some of their projects. There were a lot of projects from Republican districts in this uh, in this bonding bill that passed the House. And if you just listen to the the, the tone of the uh, Senate Republicans, it's not clear exactly if they're saying there has to be an action on a tax bill mm-hmm. or just discussion about tax bill because there's been discussion about taxes already this year it's not It's not entirely clear to me where they're drawing the line in the sand
0: and Dana, I was uh, it was interesting to hear uh, Lisa Damath talk a little bit about how the committees are actually meeting in person. And, uh, you know, folks can build relationships that they couldn't build during COVID. What's it like at the Capitol now? Is it is it like pre-pandemic days?
5: It really does feel like life prior to COVID-19. Granted, there's precautions certainly still in place. Folks are wearing masks. Um, some folks are still testifying via Zoom or other means. But just every day at the Capitol, there are... Hundreds, if not more, people here rallying for different causes, showing up to committee hearings, um, filling the galleries for floor votes. And it really changes the energy in this building. Um, just having those folks that have had to either email or make phone calls or um, sort of voice their concerns from afar in this building and being able to show up and more directly interact with lawmakers. And I think lawmakers are feeling some of the pressure or support from that as they're taking votes or uh, holding very long debates on different issues.
0: And Brian, it was interesting uh, for me to talk to the Speaker, uh, Melissa Hortman, and the Majority Leader in the Senate, Kerry uh, Dietzik. What did you notice uh, as you listened to those two talking today?
4: The, the tenor of the two was was clearly different. I mean, House Speaker Hortman now has been there for you know, going on what, three terms, and this is her third term in the Speaker's chair, and she really seems to uh, f- speak for her caucus, whereas uh, Carrie Dietzik talked about deferring to her caucus and having to go back and figure out where they're at. Keep in mind, there's a 34 to 33 split mm-hmm. there. There's not much room for error. No and room
0: they, for error. There's no room for <laughs> error,
4: and they have four years. There's, no. there's less urgency. I think there's a lot of House members, especially some of the newer House members who really feel like they want to get in and get stuff done so they're they're pushing hard to do a lot of the things that that they feel like the voters sent them there to do and maybe some things that the voters didn't necessarily voice an opinion on that they that they want to do and so there seems to be a lot more uh, kind of an aggressive posture in the house about moving fast and getting getting some of these achievements knocked off
0: And Dana, you know, another thing I was struck by this week was when the governor signed that uh, executive order protecting gender-affirming care, he really seemed to want to take some of these culture war issues uh, right up front and go after other other states, other governors, that are doing the opposite and making life more difficult for transgender people.
5: I agree with you. I think he's really taking a firmer tack toward... Uh, Republican governors in other states, and particularly toward South Dakota Governor Kirstie Noem, uh, talking about Pierre, the capital of South Dakota, where lawmakers earlier in their session approved a ban on gender-affirming care for minors. Um, he's sort of saying on that issue, on issues of abortion access and other things, uh, Republicans in other states, if you want to do those things, you certainly can. But don't expect us to change. And we are going to change in the opposite direction as a state um, mm-hmm. in terms of providing protections for folks who are coming to Minnesota to access care for those two different reasons.
4: Brian. In term two, we're seeing a lot more of Governor Tim walls embracing national exposure. He's been in the national press. He's been on the road. He was in Florida just yesterday or just this week about climate change.
0: And we'll keep an eye on that as we go here. Thanks, Brian Bax, Dana Ferguson. That'll do it for our Friday program. Our producer is Matthew Alvarez, our technical director, Alex Simpson. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll see you again here next week. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Thanks for listening to the Politics Friday podcast on NPR News. If you want to catch the show live on the radio, tune in each Friday at noon. Join us for interviews with lawmakers and conversations about what's been happening at the Capitol and beyond.